we can all have experiences with, with how we interact and had relationship with our Father here on earth, but our first relationship is with our Father in heaven, and we want to understand the Father's heart as a church and as individuals so that we can allow his love to inform and change our lives for the better. And so we have been talking about that, and I believe this is a word in season, church. I, I know God has been, been stirring it so deeply in my heart that he wants to speak to us. He wants to heal some wounds. He wants to release you to walk in freedom. He wants to give you a future. And, and I believe today is a special day where God's gonna do a great work in our hearts and lives. So let's just bow our, our hearts before the Lord together. And we're gonna pray specifically that God would just open our hearts so that we would receive from him exactly the word that's in season. So would you agree with me in this prayer. Lord, we come before you today and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power it has to change our lives. We thank you, Lord God, when we see generations rise up and know your word and allow it to take such a deep place in their hearts. And we pray now for these moments that we come together around your word, that it would have the same impact on us, Lord God. We don't want it to inform us. We want it to transform us, Lord God. We don't want to just know something better. We want to be changed in your presence, Lord God. So come now. Holy Spirit, have your way. Make this word living and active in us today, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Part of the premise for this series of messages came uh, over the last year for me when I have learned what it means to become a father. Mandy and I last year welcomed our bundle of joy, uh, Lily Rose, into the world, and we have been learning what it means to be parents. I've been learning what it means to be a father, and as I've been overwhelmed and so filled with joy for that experience, I've also sensed as I have been seeking what it means to and learning what it means to be a father, that the Lord has been teaching me a lot about how he is my heavenly father. And as I have been experiencing that in my life, um, it has gone to the point where I felt that the Lord would even have me to share some of those lessons, some of those pieces with you so that you could allow that to transform your life and learn what it means to experience the father's heart. As I've been learning some of these lessons, I just look no further than my daughter, who is now a little over a year old, 15 months. And uh, we've learned a few fun lessons uh, being parents. One of them is this. You cannot buy enough toys for your child. Um, <laughs> and the people around you cannot. We have so many stuffed animals, so many toys, and so many things that just fill our entire house. Our house is filled with love, but it is filled with toys as well. Um, and as they have taken uh, precedence inside of our living room and inside of these different places, um, I have seen uh, my daughter will go and she, we will get her the brightest and the shiniest toys and Lily will see that and she'll play with it for a little while and she'll have a stuffed animal and all these different things. But there are a few things that exist inside of our living room, things that we did not buy for Lily, um, things that are not intended for her. And we could put a million toys in that room, but she only wants the things that weren't bought for her. Uh, the things that weren't intended for her. And so I just wanted to capture this, and I was able to capture it with video this week to show you what it looks like when it happens, okay? So take a look at this, and I'm going to give you some commentary. This is my daughter, Lily, in the living room with all her toys, and look what she does. She walks over to the couch, and she takes her prize. It doesn't matter what we're doing. This is what she does. And she grabs them, and she walks over, and as she's walking over, she knows something. She knows that if she could point one of these things at this big square, her veggie tails will come on. And so she's doing it. That's the electric fireplace, uh, the DVD player, the sound system. And so that didn't work. So now she goes back. And she, but she doesn't need one of them. She needs all of them. She just has to have, and I've seen her at times with four or five of them just clutching to them, walking around. It's amazing, right? It's amazing to see it. And, and it's gotten so bad that we'll put the nicest toys in front of her. And as soon as that remote pops anywhere, 
She just gravitates towards it. And uh, especially if we're watching television, we, we aren't paying attention. We're watching, we're watching, we're pi- and then the TV goes off or flips the channel or <laughs> whatever the case might be. And we're, we're amazed. My father was at our house and, uh, and he was watching our, our daughter for a little while and he didn't know how to turn the television on. And he had no idea how to use the remotes. And he said that over a period of a half an hour, she was playing with all of them. She actually got the television on and sound on for him. He said, I don't know what she did, but she kept pressing buttons and, and she got it working for me. So, um, so it's amazing to learn that. Here's the lesson that I've learned, though, is that from a very young age, she's learning what it means to want to have control, to want to grab a hold of that control. That's what it all boils down to is that, that remote control. And she has realized that with that, she holds the power to influence something to happen. And she's learning that from a very young age. And what I've learned is that as, as children, because we're God's children, as, as his children, we long for the very same thing. We can have all these things in this life, but there's really one thing that we want to grab a hold of and we want to carry around and we want to influence, and it is the control. We want to take hold of that and we want to influence the outcomes in our life. And so often, just as I see my daughter doing that, I realize how much as one of God's children, I am so often not paying attention to what he's given me, but wanting to reach out and grab control of something that really is supposed to be in his hands. And as I've learned that lesson, it has everything to do with what we're talking about today in God's word. Because today it's all about control and influencing something. Whenever it's a remote control on a television, it's, it's cute. And for a, a, a parent, you want your child to be happy. How many of you want your children to be happy? As parents, you learn that lesson. You really desire so strongly that they would find happiness in this life. And so whenever we do that, we we realize that that is so important. And for some parents, it, it could even become the most important thing to you. And whenever it's the most important thing, not just an important thing, you're in danger. Because their happiness is one thing, but the thing that we really want for our children is that they would be whole and lacking nothing. So wholeness and happiness are two things that we need to be paying attention to and how we prioritize those two things. I want my daughter to be happy and I want her to be able to control things and have those kinds of things. And so when we're out in the yard, I love whenever she's in her little car and she's driving around. That's okay. But what about if she goes behind this wheel? Not so much, right? I don't want her influencing those outcomes. I don't want her controlling that. Why? Because her wholeness is at stake. With that, then there's danger. I love when she sees us playing in the yard and working in the yard, then she wants to join in, right? But I'm not going to put her behind the one that I'm using. Why? Because her wholeness would be in jeopardy. Something would happen that would hurt her, would cause her pain, would would diminish her, would, would have a very seriously negative impact on her life. Here's the principle that we need to understand today. Happiness at the expense of wholeness leads to heartache. Parents, you understand exactly what this means. You want nothing more than to see your children happy, your loved ones happy. But whenever they chase after that happiness and they begin to compromise and expend their wholeness, it ultimately ends in heartache for them and for you, right? Whenever in their pursuit of happiness, they begin to make compromises in their life, that are selling their future short, that are compromising their morals, that are causing them to fall into sin or addictions or brokenness. It breaks your heart and it conflicts you. Why? Because you want them to be happy. 
but you want them to be whole. And God wants them to be whole. And today we learn this and understand this through the story that we see found in Luke chapter 15. And it's a story that many have, have really come to title the prodigal son. You won't see the word prodigal showing up anywhere in the verses, but just in the heading of this uh, story or in the description of it. But I want us to take a look here because as we move into the passage of Scripture that we're going to be talking about this morning, we first need to set the record straight. For many, they feel that this is a story about a son who's made some choices. But we need to understand that as Jesus told this parable in its original context, it is not, in fact, the story where the son is the main character. Someone else is the main character of the story. You find that because of the very first words that are shared when Jesus is telling the story himself. Luke chapter 15, verse 11, look what it says. And then Jesus said, a man had two sons. This is a story about a father. Yes, the sons are a part of that story, but it's truly about a father. And for us to understand this story, we're going to understand the father's heart. Today, we're going to take a look at that first son, and next week, we're going to look at the other son and understanding God's heart towards them and towards us. Whenever we look at this, it's been called the prodigal son. And that word, the prodigal, is something we do need to understand and define because it's not a word that's used very often outside of this passage of Scripture. To be defined, the word prodigal literally means spending money or resources freely and recklessly, being wastefully extravagant, or giving something on a lavish scale. And so this son that we're going to be talking about today has been categorized as the prodigal son. The son who has, who has spent freely and recklessly, who has been wastefully extravagant, who has chased after and allowed themselves to partake in things on a lavish scale. And what is the father's heart towards that son? For us to understand that, we need to understand the passage of Scripture. And so let's look there in Luke chapter 15, uh, starting in verse 12. It says that the younger son of these two sons that this man had, he went to his father and he said this, give me my share of the estate that falls to me. And so the father divided up his wealth between them. First, we find out that this man has an estate. That means he is a wealthy landowner. This father is someone that has significant means and status within society. So as this father is there with his son, he has an estate. He has two sons, meaning that this estate would be divided between them. He's the younger son, so he would be able to get a portion of it, probably around a third, but it could have been a bit more than that because the son with the birthright would have a, a more significant portion of that, normally two-thirds, but it could have been anywhere from a third to a half, but depending upon how the father divided it. So as the father hears this request, this is a request that really only comes ever, not at this time and not at any time that the father is still living. That is something that is done when the father has passed on and died. And then when it's time to settle the estate, the estate would be divided up and the portions would be given. But this son is looking for something that he would like to receive from his father and his father is still living. His father has not desired to give it to him. He's trying to take something that is not appropriate for him to take at this time. It is incredibly offensive at this time. Imagine with me as Jesus is telling this story there in that context among those people that would have thought about families and people that had status, they would have scoffed at this idea that there would be a son who would be so inconsiderate to basically tell his father, I wish you were dead because I just want my money. 
I just want what's mine. And I want to control what I do with what is mine, right? I want control. Give it to me. Imagine how frustrated a a father would be. Imagine how heartbroken a father would be. Because he's basically saying, I don't want to have status as your son anymore. I don't want to have anything to do with any of that future. I just want what's mine. We go on to the next verse, and here's what it says happens next. And not many days later, the younger son took a step further. He gathered everything together after his father had liquidated the estate and given it to him. And then he went on a journey into a distant country. He abandoned the family. He said, I want to control what I do with this. And so I'm going to basically put this entire family in jeopardy right now. I'm going to take half of this wealth or a portion of this wealth away, and I'm going to go and I'm going to control what I am doing with it. And I'm going to go in pursuit of my own happiness. But he did that at the expense of his very identity as a son. He was willing to pursue his happiness to disown his very family, his very identity his very role as an heir, someone who was meant to inherit something of great significance. And he goes to a distant country. And in this time, whenever you study the context of of Israel's history, the Jewish people uh, were a people that were set apart by God. And therefore, they saw others who were Gentiles, who were not the same as them, as those that they were not called to associate with in such a way. They were meant to live where God had called them to live. And those that lived in the distant countries, those were aliens, strangers, Gentiles. They didn't worship God. Uh, God had very specific ways that they were trying to worship him in and, and following the law. And so if you went and lived in a different country, you weren't able to worship God. You weren't able to take part in all of those things. You weren't able to go and be a part of worshiping God at the temple. So what he's doing, he's disowning God. He's disowning his family. He's disowning everything about his identity, and he's going away to a place where he knows no one so that he could pursue his own happiness. And he does it at the expense of his very identity. He disowns his family. I tell you this story today, and as I'm telling it, there's some parents in the room today, you know exactly what this feels like. It's happened thousands of years ago. We're talking about that context, but it is just as true today, right? That we know what it feels like to have loved ones who you've worked so hard, who you've had such high hopes and dreams and aspirations for, and in a moment, they want to turn on everything. They want to take what's theirs, and they want to disown everyone around them that's loved them and poured into them, and they want to pursue their own happiness, even if it leads to the end of their life, even if it leads to pain and addictions and brokenness. Some of you have watched as those relationships have crumbled and children have run away from the things of God and from your nurture and nurturing and loving arms and from everything associated with your family and you're living estranged from them right now. Some of you don't know where they are and you don't know the choices that they're making and you are so overwhelmed by that reality. You know and could imagine what the father is feeling in this story to have a son that has gone away, who has disowned everything and who is just living a reckless life trying to find wholeness out of his happiness. As the story goes on, it continues as many stories like this continue. The things go from bad to worse. As he continued living, he spent everything he had. 
in his pursuit of whatever it is that he was after, he's spending and spending and trying to find whatever it is that he was looking for, and he gets to the bottom of that barrel, and nothing is there. And he feels just as, if not more, hopeless than when he began. And now he has nothing. And now he has burned every bridge. He has crushed every relationship. He has severed every tie with anyone who has ever loved him. He's in a distant place, in a distant land, and no one is his friend. In fact, they're more closely aligned with his enemies than his friends. And there he is all alone. And if things couldn't get any worse, a severe famine hits the land. And now, people who already would be suspicious of him at best when he's asking for a handout, are not going to give him anything. They have famine. They're trying to figure out how they can even survive themselves. Do you think that they're going to show hospitality to someone like him? So this man is there at the bottom of the pit. He has reached rock bottom. Does anyone here know what it feels like to hit rock bottom? Has anyone, have you ever been there? Some of you, maybe you're there right now. Maybe you're feeling like you're just careening towards that. You're losing hope every day. You've been chasing after things. You've been living the life that you thought was best. You've been trying to take control of what you're going to do, and it's not giving you any satisfaction. Some of you have been through the famine, and now some of you are there at rock bottom wondering how you're going to get by and what you're going to do next. He is going through the very same thing, and he does something that is detestable, despicable, and completely compromises who he is as a son, his very identity. As he reaches his greatest point of desperation, he becomes a slave in a place that he would never have imagined himself to be. Let's look together at verse 16. Sorry, sorry, verse 15. So he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country where he was, and they sent him into the fields to feed the swine. Now, as a Jewish man, Jesus was talking to a Jewish audience. For, the, for him to talk at this point in the story and say, so this son, in his desperation, went out to feed the swine. There would have been audible gasps among those that were listening. This would have been one of the worst choices that anyone could have ever made morally to compromise their purity to compromise their identity, to, to shame themselves and their family? Could you imagine a Jewish man and say, hey, how's your one son doing? He's doing great. How's your other one? I don't know. Imagine if his father would know. He's there walking through filth of pigs, feeding them whenever they are seen as unclean in that culture. You're not even meant to be near one, eat one, partake in one, and he is feeding them and wallowing in their filth, in the same way that they wallow in the mud, as the word says, he's wallowing in that filth as well. He could not have imagined a worse profession, a worse position to find himself in. And if that weren't bad, it gets worse. In verse 15, he says, it says this, he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. This is a picture of an utterly hopeless situation. And I don't know if you can even grasp the magnitude of just how taboo, just how inappropriate this 
story and this part of the story is for the context there. If you watch the news and you have and you watch social media and you see that people are making choices all around you, celebrities all the way down through, people that you know and love are making choices to to really sell out their moral uh, standards, to do things that are despicable, to do things that do not honor God, to do things that are openly sinful. And imagine with me some of the worst things. Whatever it is that you have seen or experienced that your jaw kind of drops, that you can't believe what you're seeing, that you, how has the world come to this? Those are the kinds of questions you may ask yourself. Imagine that. That is what is going on in this story for that context. They are completely bewildered by what this son is doing by just how far he has gone to sell himself out. For others of you, you haven't seen those kind of choices being made on social media or in the news. You've seen them being made with the people that you love. Some of you, you don't know where your children are. Some of you don't know where your loved ones are. Some of you have seen people that you have loved and poured your life into at the end of their life, at the end of their rope, hanging on, making choice after choice to compromise who they are to literally drain their very life away, searching for happiness that they can never find in any of those things. You know the pain of that. Others of you today, you're caught in the middle of it. You know exactly what it is because you're living it out. You're doing things that you're so ashamed of, that you're embarrassed by, that you know shame you and shame those who you love. And you may not know what to do today. And there's, there's a question that I ask at this point when I read the story. It's this, is there any hope for the prodigal son in this story? Is there any hope for the prodigal son in this world? Is there any hope for someone who has gone that far and compromised that much and have done so much to defile themselves? Is there hope for the prodigal today? And I can tell you when we read God's word, the answer to that is emphatically yes. There is hope for prodigals today. There is hope for those who have gone too far and who have done too much and who have wasted away their life and made compromise after compromise until their very identity has been shattered. There's hope for prodigals today. And this word that God has given us shows us where that hope is. Here's how it starts. It starts the same way that it starts with him. It says this in verse 17, when he came to his senses. It starts with a moment, and this is the turning point of the story when someone looks at their context and situation and realizes what has happened, what has gone on, when someone wakes up from the numbness and the pain that they are feeling and realizing, I can't keep living my life this way. There has to be a better way. There has to be hope beyond this. There has to be something I can do. And whenever he thought through everything that he can do, there was only one answer. My only hope is back in my father's house. The only hope that we're going to find for any prodigal today is back in the father's house. And he begins to think about it. Here's what he says. How many of my father's hired men, how many of my father's servants have more than enough bread and I'm dying here of hunger? How many of my father's servants, his, those that are coming that are his indentured servants, those that are serving in the house, they have more than enough bread to eat, and I am here trying to negotiate for the pods that the pigs are eating, dying of hunger. And so he thinks about this, and he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get up, and I'm going to go to my father. And I'm going to say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. 
He's not saying that dramatically. He is saying that factually. I have done too much. I'm not your son anymore. I took my inheritance. I squandered it. I'm not your son anymore. I'm approaching you now that I could be one of your hired men, that I could just be one of your servants, that I could be a servant in your house. He said, I'm going to go back and I, and I will try to make it right with my father. I'll go back, I'll repent, I'll acknowledge my guilt, and then I'm going to earn my way back into the house. So he makes up his mind. He comes to his senses. He shakes it off and he realizes there is hope, but it's going to be me going back and I'm going to try to earn my way back into that house. He came to his senses and that's the first step. That was to realize that your only hope is returning back to God, to the Father's house. And as he turns and he goes and he begins his journey back, here's what you need to realize with me. So think about this part of the story. Do you think that he went and showered? Do you think that he had anything else but the clothes on his back? He leaves those fields and that filth and he now goes back into, right? He goes back into the land that he had come from, into the same town where the people had heard the rumors, right? Because they talked just like we talk today about him, about this guy and his son and his ungrateful son, and look what he's done, and then they see him coming. And as anyone walks by him, they could probably smell him sooner than they could see him at this point, right? The filth that has covered him is the same filth that has filled his life. He has been defiled in every single way, compromised to the tilt. And as he's walking through town, could you imagine the looks of people? Could you imagine... Because you do, you see them. You know what I'm talking about. The judgment. Could you imagine how people are reacting? Could you imagine the fury, the hatred, the, 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 the remarks that we made about him as he's wandering back? And as he's walking, probably with his head as low as it has ever been. He used to carry his head high. He was a son. He was an heir. He had status. How's he walking now? Filth covered, compromised, going trying to beg his way back to be a servant in his father's house. And as he's going, imagining his father is a busy man. Who, how's the father going to respond? How, how's his father going to even, man, I hope they lock the gate. I hope they don't even let him in. I hope he sends, you know, like that, that's all the, it's all the ways that this world would respond, right? And unfortunately, the way that some fathers in this world would respond. His father had probably a lot of business he could be Tending to. And we don't know how much time passed from the time this son left to when he's coming back now. But there's something we learn in the story that begins to show us exactly how this father is going to respond. It says in verse 20 that he came up, he got up and he came to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him from a distance. That means that his father never stopped looking for his son. You don't see someone from a distance whenever you're preoccupied with something else. His father, we don't know if it's been a week, a month, 10 years, his father never gave up hope that his son could come home. And he never stopped looking for his son to return. And as he was a far way off, the father saw him. And then he came running towards him after feeling compassion in his heart, and he embraced him and he kissed him. There's a few things that are happening here that would cause people to say, whoa, what's going on in this story? One is men like that in that culture, they didn't run. That was embarrassing. It was kind of like shameful. People of status especially did not run around publicly like that. Imagine 
This wasn't in the privacy of his estate. This was out a far way off where people could see in a public place that the father comes running. And they see the father running. And some are probably thinking, oh, my goodness, is he going to tackle him? Is he going to you fight him? What's he? And he grabs him and he hugs him and he kisses him. And remember what the son looks like in this moment. Remember what the son has been through in this moment. Remember what he's doing. And the father doesn't care. He will publicly make himself look shameful in the eyes of everyone else if it means he could lavish his love upon his son. And in that moment, we have a picture of a father who is so overwhelmed by his son coming home that he comes out to him and he meets him and he grabs him and he lavishes his love upon him. And now the son, I mean, you can imagine with me, if I'm rewriting the story, here's what I'm saying. You know, and the father, you know, he, felt, he saw him coming and he was very stoic and looking at him and said, you know, oh my goodness, how, how do you smell? You look, go, you go get cleaned up and then you meet me in my private study and, and make sure no one's around and we're going to talk about this privately. That's how many fathers could respond to it, right? He runs to him publicly, embraces him, tackles him, kisses him and all of that. The father is willing to get dirty. He is willing to even defile himself if it meant loving his son and embracing him. And I'm so thankful that Jesus was showing us this picture so we could have a picture of our father in heaven. The father's heart. You have to know that we have a God who was not afraid to get messy. He wasn't afraid to get involved. You know how we know that? Because the word became flesh. Jesus came here. God didn't wait until we could come to him. Whenever we were a far way off, he came to us. And he did whatever he could do. Jesus humbled himself to the point of death. He was humiliated publicly, crucified. Why? Because he loved us that much. And God wasn't afraid to publicly demonstrate his love for his children through that way than something so embarrassing, something so humiliating as crucifixion. We have a God and a Father in heaven who's not afraid to get messy at the expense of his children and for the love of his children. He came running, and now, and now the son, he's rehearsed this, and he's probably expecting this to be done in more of a private setting. And he's, he's all right, Father, I've, I've sinned against you and, and in your sight and in heaven, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And he gets cut off before he can even finish his sentence. And the father, as if he's tuning him out completely, seeing that his son has returned, calls to the slaves, and he says, this, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Take the best and put it on my son. Take a ring and put it on his hand. Take some sandals and put them on his feet. Bring me the fattened calf. That's the choice one that we would have, that we've been saving because we're going to have a celebration. My son was dead and now he's alive. He was lost, he's found. Let's celebrate. Oh, this is, a, this is just a beautiful, this is one of the most beautiful pictures in scripture of God's love to his children. Because here's what the father's doing. This son comes back with no way. I mean, he has completely defiled his identity as a son. He does not belong in the family, in the picture at all. He has probably sold off everything that would distinguish him at all and set him apart as a son. And what his father does is he fully restores him by placing the best robe upon him, by placing the ring upon his finger, by placing the sandals on his feet. The ring is a symbol that normally carried a seal that showed whose family you were. It was a sign of authority and prominence. He put the ring on his son's finger. He said, I don't care where you've been. You're restored into this family. You're back. You're a child of mine. 
Nothing will separate you. I don't care where you've been. You don't have to explain a thing to me. You've turned and you're restored to me. And the celebration began. Next week, we're going to talk about how we respond when prodigals come home. Because I love that there was a celebration. I love, I love that as he came in, the people went crazy and they just celebrated that his son was found. That's God's heart. He celebrates and he wants nothing more. The father's heart today is to restore his children. It's to restore his children back to himself. This father's love was so amazing, was so incredible. But here's, here's what we find out in the story, that that love wasn't fair. That love wasn't just, and in many eyes, that love is not right. Because here's what logic says. Here's what this world says. You get what you deserve. You get what you deserve. You, you've gone out and you've wasted it, then figure out how you're going to get yourself back. It's now on you. You are responsible for your actions. You get what you deserve. This wasn't fair. He gets the Father's love lavished upon him in such an amazing way. That's not fair. Here's what we learn. God's love isn't fair. He gave him, he gave his Father his worst, and his Father gave him his best. We gave God our worst. If some of you are sitting here today and you believe that you are a child of God, that you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and somehow you have received what you deserve, you're delusional. If you think you've done enough in your own strength and power that you deserve the amazing, incredible sacrifice of Jesus Christ, you're wrong. We are in our sin, our worst. We, in no way, because of our sin, we can in no way ever earn our way back to God. When we gave him our worst, he gave us his best. When we were at our worst, he gave us his best. It's not in our own strength. It's not of our own accord. Just like this son. This son comes back like so many people live this life. I'm going to earn my way into the father's house. And you know what you learn quickly? You can't. You can't because you got a father who loves you so much he wouldn't even let you try. He's going to embrace you, lift you up, and lavish his love upon you. But you know what? Whenever I look at this father and I go back to the same definition of prodigal, what does it mean to be prodigal? Let's put that back up. Spending money or resources freely and recklessly, wastefully extravagant, giving something lavish on a lavish scale. The son was the prodigal son. The father is the prodigal father. He's just as prodigal, but he's doing it with love. Do you want to know what the only hope for a prodigal son is? A prodigal father. We have a prodigal father in heaven who has lavished his love upon his children in such a way. And look what it says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 that we would see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we are called the children of God, and that is what we are. Is anyone here happy to have received the Father's love that he has lavished it upon you? And for those of you today who feel that you have to earn your way to God, you need to realize what God's word says this, that if you're in Christ, in Galatians 4, 7, you're no longer a slave. He wanted to be a slave in his father's house. No, you're not a slave, you're a son. And if you're a son, you're an heir. And if you're an heir, you receive the full weight of my love and my acceptance just as you are. Not as you should have been, as you are. That's the gospel. Guess what? The gospel isn't fair. The gospel isn't fair at all. We give God our worst, he gives us his best. How is that fair? But it's grace. 
And it's the prodigal love of God that meets us right where we are. Not as we should be, not when we've earned it, but when we have come to our senses and realize that our only hope is back in the Father's house. I'm going to invite uh, one of the members of the team to come up, and they're going to get ready to lead us in a song. And today, the only hope for a prodigal son here, if you want to know. Some of you are listening, and you want to know that for yourself and for those that you love. Is there any hope for a prodigal today, for a prodigal son, for someone who has gone and done too much, and I want you to know, yes, there is, but the only hope is the prodigal father, and the only one that we have is the one we have in heaven who has lavished his love on us, who has given us his son, Jesus Christ, to forgive us of our sins. And today, today, you don't have to earn your way back into his house. You don't have to earn your way back into forgiveness. You don't have to earn it in any way. But there is an action that you have to take. I'll say it like this. You don't have to earn your way back into the house. The son, he didn't have to earn his way back into the house, but he had to get out of the pig pen, didn't he? And that's exactly what the gospel is all about. It's not, a, it's not a call to love you in the midst of your sin and excuse your sin and allow you to live continuing your sin. Why? Because that's happiness at the expense of wholeness. It's a love that loves you. And whenever you're ready to turn and get out of that filth, it's a love that will meet you at your first turn, not after you've figured out all the language and, and figured out the plan. It's a love that meets you right where you are. I say it like this. God is only a heart's turn away from you. The Father's love is only a heart's turn away from you. Before you could even make your way back to him, he will meet you with the power of his grace and his prodigal love. Does anyone here need to experience that prodigal love of God? For you, if you do, you've got to leave the pig pen. You've got to leave the filth and the things that have been compromising you. And today, today I know there are some that your heart is broken because you know you've been making choices that don't honor the Lord. And today's an opportunity with no judgment, with no one turning up an eye or a nose to it. Today is a day to celebrate church, prodigals that want to come home, prodigals that want to be restored to the Father. And I don't care if you have been walking with the Lord for a hundred years, and yet you know that, that God's calling you home and he's calling you to himself and he wants you to experience the depths of his love. Or today, you have never made a decision to follow Jesus and you would like to accept him as your Lord and as your Savior. Let's all stand up together today. Here's what I'm going to do with every head bowed and eye closed. I just want to make a simple invitation for prodigals to come home to the Father. For that son, thinking about it wasn't enough. Thinking about it and, and putting together a plan is not enough. Defining moments call for decisive action. And today, if you're ready, if you're tired of what you've been living in and you're ready to return home to the Father and experience the love we've been talking about, I guarantee it, that's what's ready to meet you. But you got to get out of the pig pen. you got to be willing to make that turn. All sin is the same in God's eyes. And I'm so thankful that he has the power to forgive those who believe that they cannot be forgiven. And today, if you're willing to turn your heart towards the Lord, he's ready to meet you by the power of his love. And so today, I want you, if you know that that's you and you need to return home to the Father, I want you to lift your hand above your head, calling out to the Lord, saying, Lord, I'm coming home. Father, I'm coming home. That's you. Don't be ashamed for a moment. 
Don't be ashamed for a moment. Let's celebrate right now as prodigals are coming home. Let's celebrate, church. Let's praise the Lord. Don't be ashamed. Just as whatever the Father saw it, he turned and he celebrated. That's the love of God. If that's you, lift it up before the Lord right now. There is no condemnation in Christ. Lift your hand before the Lord and say, Lord, I want to come home today. I want to say a prayer with you, if that's you. And you're ready to turn. And I want you just to make this commitment before the Lord right now. Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my life and forgive me of my sin. Father, I'm coming home. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you that you died and that you rose again for me so that I could be restored as a son, as a child of God. I will follow you all the days of my life and live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, we're going to sing this song, the song we learned last week, Good, Good Father. And as you are just considering the love of your heavenly Father today, would you rest in it? but also would you experience it? Valley Forge's ministry team is here with some of our altar workers. They're ready to meet with you. They're ready to pray with you. If you've raised your hand, if you've accepted Jesus, if you've done any of those things, listen, defining moments call for decisive action. Don't think that you just thought about it in your head. You just, you just said, oh yeah, you know, I, I want to do that. Take a stand. Take a step towards God. He will meet you. He will change your life. What that means, leave your seat. Come down to these altars as you're hearing this song and allow God to meet you. Allow the Father to lavish his love on you in a special way. Lord Jesus, would you meet us by the power of your love. Lord, thank you for the demonstration of the gospel that gives us what we do not deserve when we did what is despicable, what is wrong in your sight. Lord, I thank you that you are a prodigal father, one that lavishes your love upon your children, one that meets us where we are and restores us when we turn our hearts back to you. Lord God, I pray for every person that takes a step today, a decisive action to return home. Lord God, it will be the day of new beginnings. It will be a day of restoration and celebration in heaven and here on earth. In Jesus' name, meet us at these altars as we worship you. Amen. Amen. If that's you, leave your seats and come forward. Let's worship the Lord together. As you feel led to go, you can please step out, but save your conversations for the foyer. Let's preserve what God's doing here at these altars. Let's go before the Lord together.